Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. This particular woman is the top woman in her company, and she had an incredibly barren office. There was not a single photograph, there was not a single girly anything. And I said, oh, when are you going to start decorating your office? And she said, oh, I'm not. Because um, she more or less said it's a trick men play to make you feel less important than them when they ask you about your kids or your boyfriend at the beginning of the meeting and then they've got you disadvantaged. And I thought that was a really interesting addition to the body armor point we know we all wear a certain kind of war paint to do our jobs and I'm hoping that that question about what it takes to be a woman in today's world and in today's working world is going to be one of the issues that comes out of today today is being podcast so if you're feeling shy you mustn't say who you are or indeed comment at all but I'm assuming that doesn't apply to anyone and it certainly doesn't apply to our first speaker Lynn Featherstone who is the Minister for Equalities. We are of course fantastically pleased that um, she personally has chosen to speak to us. Uh, she's one of these polymath women who when you look at her CV ranges from being local and active in service and nationally elected to having been uh, a working girl herself. And she's going to talk to us for 10 or 15 minutes after which she must run off and we'll get on with our first panel about what she regards as the gender agenda. So thank you all for coming and I'm going to hand over to the minister. Thank you. There are many people who have the ability to influence the gender agenda. And the issues which will be discussed here today, women in the workplace, women in the boardroom, and work-life balance, have been receiving increasing media attention and commentary lately. From Lord Davies' work uh, on women in the boardroom, to our plans to extend the right to request flexible working to all, to the role that women can play in getting the economy back in shape, is top of the government's agenda. And I actually think you could have renamed um, this event to the growth agenda. Because this government's first priority is to get our economy back in shape. And that means dealing with the deficit. And that means stimulating growth. And that means giving all women the opportunity to achieve their full potential, which has to be at the heart of our approach to economic growth. We have seen huge progress over the years um, and women now make up around half of the workforce. However, women, that's why we're all sitting here, still experience inequalities. The gender pay gap still exists. And there are still are many barriers that women have to face, including the lack of female role models, long hours culture, lack of transparency around the recruitment process of senior positions, and apparently not being able to have pictures on your wall of your family in case that lessens your status, which is quite a ridiculous state of affairs, but probably quite true. And all, this is all in spite of women performing better than men in the education system and coming out of university with better qualifications than men. So tackling these inequalities is therefore not just crucial for our generation, but for future generations of women. 
And one of the best ways to do this is to tackle gender stereotyping, particularly in careers advice that young people receive. Um, a recent girls' attitude survey found that many girls and young women would actually defer having children for their perfect career. Really, that should not be necessary. And last time I was there when babies were made, there was a man involved. A third of girls surveyed thought that becoming a hairdresser or a beautician were popular career choices for girls because it was all girls knew about. Now, I don't mind what field young girls decide to enter, whether it's hairdressing or engineering or even politics. But I do mind if girls are being put off certain careers because they're seen as traditionally male or funneled into certain careers because they perceive them to be more suited to women. It is absolutely crucial that girls have exactly the same opportunities and access to whatever career they choose and that they are fully informed about career choices and that they make uh, the, the career choices they make and what that actually means for their income and their future. Because if you do choose hairdressing or something of that ilk, it is very hard to have economic independence in the way that uh, gives you the power to con and control over your own life. So tackling these inequalities isn't just a matter of fairness. It is also one of economic strength. And to put things into perspective, if in this country we fully use the skills and qualifications of women who are currently out of work, it would deliver, deliver economic benefits of between 15 and 21 billion pounds per year. That's more than double the value of all our annual exports for China. And even that massive figure underestimates the benefits that could come from every woman achieving her full potential. And as a country, quite frankly, in these tough times, we actually can't afford to keep missing out. So in government, we're working very hard to help women in business to fulfill their potential for the good of society, for fairness and the moral imperative, but also, and most importantly, perhaps, for the good of our economy. And one of the biggest challenges facing women is balancing work and family life. Uh, the traditional, inflexible, nine-to-five model of work doesn't make sense anymore. It, it, it doesn't make sense for modern businesses in a global economy working across many time zones. And it doesn't make sense for most modern families, where often both parents want to work, or for many one-parent families where staying at home just isn't an option. And by restricting flexible working to certain groups, the idea is therefore perpetuated that it's some sort of special treatment rather than actually being a sensible way to run a successful business, which is why this government wants to help all hardworking employees to balance their work and other commitments by extending the right to request flexible working to everyone. And we believe that this will go some way in helping to shift attitudes. I mean, in fact, if you talk to any really good employer... That is the informal position they take, if they have any sense about keeping valuable people in their workforce. And we can go further. The current system of maternity and paternity leave just reinforces the old stereotype that when a couple start a family, women should stay home and look after the children, and men should go out and work and earn money. But we know that fathers also want to spend more time with their children, and we know how sometimes difficult that is and challenging for them in the workplace. So under our proposed new system of flexible parental leave, if fathers want to take more of a role in raising their children, they can. If mothers want to work, go back to work earlier, they can. 
If both parents want to spend time at home after the birth of their child, they can, i.e. it's for grown-up individuals in their own circumstances to decide how best and who best to take uh, that shared parental leave. And what's more, employers will no no longer be able to look a young woman and think silently to themselves, perhaps she will get pregnant, therefore I will not offer her the job, because they actually will not know which of their applicants is actually going to take that parental leave. But I think uh, that we all know that there's only so much that government alone can do. And change will only come when businesses themselves realise the benefits. So I'd like to thank in particular the McKinsey Research Series Women Matter for setting out the business case and the huge benefits of having a more gender diverse board. Of course, I want to thank them also for hosting this today and obviously the Financial Times and, of course, Editorial Intelligence for all the work they have done to put this together. (coughs) Truly important to have these events. But I think the big difference overall between what we're doing now and what's been tried before is that we're moving away from government dictating how businesses should be run via endless legislation. And we're working alongside business to help them make their workplaces better for women. Because if we think about this in a hard-headed business way, research shows that companies with more women on their boards outperform their rivals with over 40% higher return in sales, 66% higher return on capital, and over 50% higher return on equity. So I can't imagine any CEO or board of directors who would not be shocked if they ignored those sort of potential improvements to their turnover. Um, So why they persist in seeming to ignore this, very easy to remedy, really, uh, is a mystery. And one that is, you know, attention is now being focused on severely. So this isn't equality for equality's sake. It's just good business sense, and we believe it's a business-led approach which is needed to bring about change in the boardroom. Last year, only 12.5% of all FTSE 100 board members were women. That is not good enough. And that's why last year we commissioned Lord Davies to report on this issue, to make recommendations to help get talented women into the boardroom. Six months on from his report, important steps forward have been made. Never enough, never fast enough for me, I have to say, but steps have been made. The Financial Reporting Council has announced it will amend the Corporate Governance Code to strengthen the principle of boardroom diversity. The headhunting industry, a very important part of this equation, has agreed a code on diversity. And the numbers themselves are moving in the right direction. Women now make up over 14% of FTSE 100 directors up from last year. The number of female board appointments since the report's publication has almost doubled, going from 13% last year to 24% now. And the number of all-male boards on the FTSE 100 has almost halved. It now stands at 12, down uh, from 21 last year. But I have to say, if the making of a male board acceptable by one female member, I don't think that's quite my ambition. My ambition is much further than that. So there is still a very long way to go, but it is a good start. And we will be working with Lord Davies and with business to make sure that we keep up the momentum. And of course, mandatory quotas can offer a shortcut or a quick fix to increase female representation, but women want to be there on merit alone. Although if I'm really, uh, without being rude, I have been in boardrooms where there are some men who have 
not necessarily been there on merit alone. <laughs> they have simply been there. 89% um, of the women that Lord Davies' group spoke to during the course of the review were not in favour of quotas. They feared being considered mere tokens or, sideli or sidelined within the boardroom. And my view is that the right person for a role should be chosen on the basis of their ability and their experience. And this is, you know, it's about delivering better decision-making, better policies. It's not about political correctness. Business performance is absolutely critical because if you can demonstrate success from diversity and if it's valued by the business, then it will not only be accepted, but it will be encouraged. And I was so pleased to see today in the newspapers that um, the very, the giant really, investment um, management giant, legal and general, has actually stepped forward to say unless boards recruit, well, unless more women are recruited as directors and unless companies make their boards more diverse, they will vote them out of office. And I think this is an incredibly helpful step to have an investor with money at stake saying, I want women in the boardrooms and women at the decision-making levels because I want decisions to be better for the companies. Legal and General have obviously read the statistics I read out about it, the improvement to the bottom line. And employers need to pay their part, obviously, in bringing about change. And again, some of our top companies are realising this and stepping forward. And that's why in September, government joined senior figures from Tesco, BT, the leading law firm Eversheds, the CBI and others to launch something called Think, Act, Report. And it's the coalition government's new initiative to improve transparency on pay and wider workplace equality that will help drive change, in, including closing the gender pay gap, which is closing but is still far too wide. And the simple step-by-step -step process involves companies first identifying issues around gender equality in their workforce or in their pay structures, because unless you have identified it, you don't know what you're dealing with, then taking action to address those issues, and then finally reporting publicly on pro progress. All of those are hugely important steps. So think, act, report. And I'd love all of you here today to consider thinking, acting and reporting on gender equality in your organisations. Don't wait to follow others. Take the lead. And everyone here today has another really important task. You can act as drivers of change to inspire young women to become business leaders of tomorrow. Not just for the good of women, but for the long-term benefit of the country and the economy. There are already more than 1.1 million self-employed women in the UK nearly a third of the total self-employed population. But although women in Britain are more entrepreneurial than their counterparts in Germany, Italy and Japan, we in Britain are still less likely than women in the USA to start our own businesses. And that's why earlier this month, we announced that we will provide resources for 5,000 volunteer business mentors to be recruited and trained to offer effective support to women who want to start or grow their own business. Um, and I have to say, I, in my own family, my mother was a businesswoman and she started uh, electrical shops, not a naturally female territory. And she was very successful. She died over 20 years ago. But I have to say the difference that made to me growing up, because I started my own small design company, was tremendous. It, I didn't stop for a second to think I can't or I shouldn't. I thought, of course, 
Um, <laughs> lucky I didn't know some of the things. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, how to fill in a vatrator and how to do all those things that might be inhibitors were not there for me. So I think this mentoring program <coughs> is really important that you have someone you can just ask on a human basis. And the Deputy Prime Minister has also asked me to look into whether women are being discriminated against when they seek access to finance to start or expand their businesses. And we will be working closely with the banks, women business owners and other stakeholders to see how we can fix this. So we are taking real action to help women in business, but we can't stop there. We need to maintain momentum. We need to keep exploring new ways to help women achieve their full potential. And that is why we recently announced that we'll be establishing a Women's Business Council to provide advice to the Home Secretary, to the Chancellor and to the Business Secretary on what can be done to maximise women's contribution to our future economic growth. And this important new body will provide recommendations on public policy that affect women in business and will seek to improve the business environment for women so as to maximise profit and success. So in conclusion, the policies I've talked about today, like flexible working and flexible parent leave, will help. And they will make a practical difference. But I think we all know there's only so much that the government alone can do. And as I said at the beginning of my speech, everyone here has the potential to have a positive influence on the gender agenda. And we need to work together to do this. This is not something that is just good for women. If we can make progress on this agenda, it will be good for the economy and therefore we all need to consider it a necessity and to start to take action now. Thank you. I hope you have a good day. Thank you.